what does it take to win? What does it take to be a winner? Those are the questions I'm trying to get answered. And today I'm joined by Fred Zolik. Fred is a political consultant out of Michigan, now living in Charleston that I've been working with for a number of years. I really love working with this guy because he's an old hand, been doing campaigns since 1984. But he's one of those guys who's been doing it for a long time that want to be able to learn and accept the way technology is changing campaigns. And I really like working with Fred because of his experience. I can learn from his wisdom. And every time I do a campaign with him, I learn something new and it just makes me better. How's it going this cycle? What are you working on? Mostly I'm working on a ballot proposal in Michigan uh, that's the wackiest um, abortion rights amendment I've ever seen. It's uh, <laughs> What's it say? It's pretty expansive. It's um, if, if, you know, imagine ACLU and Planned Parenthood lawyers getting together and drafting their wish list for the next hundred years. <laughs> of, uh, so, you know, it's not just restoring Roe v. Wade. It's uh, puberty blocking drugs for kids without their parents knowing. Yeah. And uh, so they really went for the swung for the fences here and uh, we're swinging back pretty hard. That uh, transgender kid stuff is becoming hot everywhere. Have you been paying attention to what's going on here in Charleston in the first congressional race? Yeah. I mean, nobody's ready for this. Yeah. No parents are ready for these conversations. There's no school administrator who has the right answer and knows what to do. I mean, parents don't like the idea that they'd be left out. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, a directive that came out of the Department of Education in Michigan that, um, that if a child is struggling with their gender identity and is even threatening suicide, the teacher cannot out them to their parents. So they may be bringing different clothes to wear to school and using different names and different pronouns, but you're not allowed to tell the parent, which is lunacy. And I saw something out of California today that, uh, as young as 14 can get a surgery without their parents uh, knowing and that the insurance company isn't even allowed to alert the parents. <laughs> it's insane. Um, and, you know, here in South Carolina, there was a bill sponsored by a Democrat that said that, uh, you know, no physician can administer this sort of permanent change to anyone under the age of 18. And it got killed by the Democrats. And I, I just don't see how the Democrats win on this one, man. I mean, they're backing themselves into this corner. And I, I can't imagine most mainstream Democrats, you know, thinking even like the African-American base, uh, especially down here in the South, that most of which are, are hyper-religious. I can't see where even most Democrats would go along with the way the party seems to be trending on this issue. It's weird. There's just an all-out drive um, among these progressives to separate parents from their kids and just minimize their role in their life. And I, I don't know of a single parent who's in favor of it. I, I don't either. It's all bonkers to me. It, it really is. Uh, are you mostly, I, mean, I know you're from Michigan and you work mostly in Michigan, but is that, that where your work still centered this cycle? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of commuting back and forth to the Detroit airport. Yeah. I huh? don't prefer it this time of year. Uh, I like August better than uh, October. Detroit just always seems to be the airport. I'm sprinting through. I get a lot of exercise in that airport. Yeah. Um, you know, in 2006, we moved to Michigan uh, to run a U.S. Senate race yep. and got beat. And I had fond memories of my time in Michigan. But uh, as the election got closer and it started snowing in October, <laughs> it's like it's time to get the hell out of here, which is probably why you live in Charleston now. Exactly. I used to live in Michigan and just decided to quit that. And you're li you live like part time in Costa, right? Yeah, in Costa Rica for Januarys and Februarys. Nice. I don't like being cold. You rent it out when you're not there? Yeah. So it's a nice little business, too. Yep. I noticed that most politicos uh, 
don't have those kind of side hustles. And I, I've actually got a lot of people that reach out to me in the industry now about like what we're doing with Airbnb and such because they want to start doing things outside of politics. But most of them become political beasts and don't want to, uh, you know, learn entrepreneurism or, you know, these other verticals. I keep threatening to open a bait shop because like has anybody ever been in a pissed off mood? going into a bait shop. They might be mad at the end of the day when they didn't catch anything, but yeah. they're in a good mood when they're going the fishing. So right. you have the happiest group of customers you could possibly have. Uh, exactly. Um, so I know you've been doing this a long time, man. I mean, I saw that you were like a rising star 20 years ago. Yeesh. I saw that in your yeah. bio, but what got you into this? Uh, I got bit by the bug in high school. And yeah. I, there was an internship program in my high school where I uh, commuted to the state capitol yeah. for a whole semester with a state representative. Who is actually still alive today? Um, that was, he, he was old, an old dude then, yeah. and that was in uh, 1982. Um, but uh, the guy's still going strong, um, and then just stayed interested in government and politics since then. How old are you now? 58. Dude, you're the most jacked 58 <laughs> year old I know. Thanks. You look, you look good. Like, what, what are you, what are you doing? I just keep giving the middle finger to getting older. I, I know we talk about it like a lot, like on Facebook and such. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw your comment the other day when you were bashing me about the uh, vegetarian and seafood <laughs> diet. I've, I've been trying to put on weight, so I'm eating a lot of red meat. Yeah. But I mean, you're mostly uh, just pounding protein and lifting. Pretty much, yeah. I like to talk about this kind of thing on the podcast because um, I talked about it in the first one with Austin Chambers. Mm-hmm. We live in a um, our industry is incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. And I fear that a lot of my consultant and operative buddies are going to be in the grave like 20 years early because they live off the campaign pizza and beer diet. And yeah. even when they get into their 40s, 50s, they seem to not ever change what they were doing at 25. And, and the stress level is is insane. Uh, the, the, the pace of the campaigns, you know, is just ridiculous compared to when I started. I mean, I remember when we got our first fax machine. Yeah. At a political consulting firm I worked for. And it was, remember, I had those rolls of paper and, yeah. they, and they curled up on your desk. And um, But then the, the pace of the day was set by the FedEx deadlines. Mm-hmm. Like when FedEx came in the morning, you had stuff to do. And then you knew that the 7 o'clock deadline at the airport was to get spot shipped. Yeah. Uh, now it's inst- everything's instantaneous. And um, around the clock. And it's around the clock. I mean, I see you on Twitter late night. Twitter can absolutely crush your brain. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to start writing creatively. Um you know, where you have to get into a flow mm-hmm. after you've atomized your attention span on Twitter for an afternoon. Uh, it also has horrible effects on my blood pressure. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's bonkers. That's why I refuse to check social media in the morning. Mm-hmm. I get all of my writing done first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. and then I start screwing around on social media in the afternoon. Because yeah, you're right, because once, once you're in that zone, you yeah. can't get your brain to go back to creative mode. Yeah, and I play pretty rough, uh, especially with the anonymous people on there who just feel free to hurl invective and death threats, and it's just so out of hand. Uh, people who have, have their face in their profile, yeah, I will always handle respectfully mm-hmm. and engage with them and be polite. But if you're just some anonymous hack and you're saying shitty things, I'm firing right back. Yeah, I used to do that, and then I got canceled, and mm-hmm. they came after my brewery, and uh, it. I wrote a whole book about it. Yeah, in yeah, fact, of course. <laughs> it was hell. Uh, so um, you've been doing this a while. Tell me your favorite campaign war story. Well, this is more of the, my favorite lesson learned. Okay. And it was um, it involves somebody everybody probably knows, and that's uh, the dunciest member of Joe Biden's cabinet, Jennifer Granholm. Yep. She just keeps failing upward in life. She started as the legal counsel for the most corrupt government in Michigan, mm-hmm. then became a feckless attorney general, 
Then, in two terms of governor, left a smoking crater where the state of Michigan used to be, mm-hmm. and now she has the frickin' nuclear codes, which That's just baffles me to crazy. no end. Uh, she's just a dunce. We almost beat her. We came really close. And if we had done a couple of things smarter and sooner, I think we would have. And we were getting massively outspent. This is when Emily's List first became a thing. And they just bundled trillions of dollars to Granholm. And this is 2002, right? So a million dollars went a really long way, yeah. you know, on, on airtime in, in Michigan you know, back in those years. But we were getting outspent by about $20 million. So that's just a, an unfathomable amount of money right now. I mean, it's almost like Lindsey Graham kind of money, like where you're going to mail everybody a turkey every week. Yeah, what know? else do you do with the money? It's like, I was, I was joking, it's like, what else can we put his logo on? Right, we're going to exactly. start putting on a, like, the, the toilet paper and uh, rest area. Everybody like, everybody gets a free car. Exactly. Um, but it, So it was a, a huge disparity. And we kind of made the, just to back up, the GOP had really been strong in Michigan for a really long time because of one issue, and that was property taxes. Mm-hmm. Property taxes made people pissed off. They were getting 10 and 12% increases year after year. And everybody got to the breaking point. And then Governor John Engler fixed it. And he changed the way schools were funded and fixed the property tax situation. Well, guess what? Party's over now. Yep. Now we don't, we've solved our problem. Our reason for existence is now threatened. Mm-hmm. And people started for, to forget about property taxes. Well, Jennifer, being the dunce that she is, said that she wanted to tweak Proposal A. That was the ballot proposal that fixed property taxes. And everybody knew exactly what she meant, that it was you're going to start seeing big property tax increases again. She tried to take it back. There, there's a temptation when you're when you're so outmatched in terms of money to do, try to do everything at the same time. So every spot, you know, would be a checklist of six things. I got a lot of things to say, (laughs) so I better say them in everything, right? We did the opposite and we decided to just go all in on this property tax issue. And at the same time, I was running the House and State Senate caucus campaigns and so it was fairly e- – and my business partner's sister was the campaign manager for the gubernatorial candidate. So it was fairly simple to get everybody yeah. doing what I wanted. It was the only time I could wave a magic wand and get everybody to kind of play along. And everybody went in, all in on that one issue. And we just started marching up in the polls. We only fell 3% short oh. in the governor's race. We won both houses of the house and uh, – both houses of the legislature. And – ended for another 20 years any talk of ever raising property taxes um, because it's just such a toxic issue for, for Democrats. Um, so it was, it's interesting. If we had maybe executed that a little better and a little sooner, we might have gotten there. And so it, I, I just tried to – out of time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, we, if we had maybe made that pivot a week sooner, mm-hmm. we, we might have gotten across the finish line. And so I just you – know, at this time of year, the temptation is to try to – do a little bit of everything and everything you do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to narrow the focus. Right now, it just seems to me, if, if you're not talking about cost of living or parental rights or crime, mm-hmm. you are doing it wrong. Those are the three issues. That's it. And probably don't talk about all three. Pick one. Pick one and go and, all in. Especially if you're being outmatched because the other side wants to play whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, they'll smack you. And then, then you'll go somewhere else and they'll smack you there. Well, at some point, they can't keep smacking you on the same thing because now they're engaging with you on what you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. If I've got the Democratic candidate denying she's going to raise property taxes, guess what? We're fighting over property taxes now, and that's yep. where I want it. I think that's, you know, years later, as as we are into 
you know, the internet age, I think that's even more important because people's attention spans have gotten so small and they're being bombarded by so much content every day, as you were just talking about with, with Twitter and the way it impacts your brain. If they're already hearing thousands of messages a day from all these people, and then your message is also scattered, your message is never going to get through. I mean, it seems to be the only way, and I've been preaching to my clients, that we're going to be able to cut through the clutter and have voters remember anything about us is to have a single message that we can just keep repeating over and over and over again and just get a lot of frequency behind that single message. That doesn't mean you can't talk about different things throughout the campaign. Right. But I would prefer to stick on one message for, you know, that saturation and then move on to another message, get saturation, move on to another message, get saturation. But if you're just talking about 10 different things, the voters aren't going to remember anything around about you, or at least take those 10 things and tie them up in a nice, pretty bow with one single message. Yeah. That's- so if you're Publix and you're on the air, you know, 365 days a year over a 10 year period of time, you can be the grocery store with the best meat department and double coupons all the time. You can pick mm-hmm. yep. several things and, 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 and build a brand that way. But if you're Bob's grocery store, mm-hmm. you got to be one of these, you got to pick, you know, your, your, your double coupons and that's just going to be your brand. And, yep. and you, you don't have a choice to, if you're competing with all the noise out there that just not even just your competitors are generating, but you know, life is generating. And we care about this stuff a lot. We get deep in the weeds of all these issues, but most voters simply don't. That's they right. really don't care who their state senator is. They barely care That's who right. the governor is. Uh, they only really care who the governor is when the governor is doing something they hate. Yep. Otherwise, you know, you, I mean, most U.S. senators, you could pass them in an airport and, and people wouldn't know who they were. Oh, 100%. Uh, unless you're particularly in a leadership position or, a, you know, assigned to some issue I mean, you know, Gary Peters is the U.S. Senator from Michigan, and most people think he's in the frickin' witness protection program. So, um, to, what's today? Today is Wednesday? Yeah. Wow, Friday, I walked down King Street, and I was behind Darius Rucker. <laughs> he walked by 25 people that didn't recognize him. I was like, if, if they're not going to ri- recognize Darius Rucker in Charleston, South Carolina on King Street, they're right. sure as hell not going to recognize their state senator or even their U.S. senator. Yeah, he's such a little guy, though. You expect him to be bigger. That's true. That's true. But I, I mean, but like he's he's an African American man walking down King Street. I mean, he he, he looks like he's Darius Rucker. I mean, right. how do you not recognize Darius Rucker? Right. Especially in Charleston. And my point is, they're they're sure as hell not going to recognize their their congressman. But the only other thing about messaging, which I, I I don't know why we can't get this through their heads, is it's not about them. It, it's it's about us. Right. They're not the center of the story. When people are going to vote. They don't care about you. They care about themselves in that their grocery prices are dramatically higher. Or their gas prices are dramatically higher. Or they're, they are scared to walk down King Street at certain times of the day because crime right. is increasing. And that congressman still wants it to, you know, let me tell you about me, 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 me. They don't care about you. What's the big thing today that's impacting their family? Well, it's the fact that their grocery prices are gone up and they're, they're scared to send their kids to public school because of the indoctrination that they might get from that public school teacher. It's about them. 
Yeah, there's never been a time that I can remember where there were so many pressing kitchen table concerns at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously groceries is the ultimate kitchen table concern. 100%. You walk out of the store and you got two bags in your hands and you spent $250 and like, where did it all go? And I'm trying to pound protein so I can yeah. look like Fred. <laughs> and my uh, and my eggs, I saw this morning, are up 58%. Yeah, 58%. Chicken, oh, the other thing I got to pound right now, was it up 39%? Right. And then, and then crime... I don't. I think you got to go back to the mid '80s when, mm-hmm. to, for for there to be a time when people were this worried about random violent crime, and then you add on top of that all this wackiness that's going on in the schools. We used to simply care that the schools were bad at stuff that they weren't teaching. Now we have to worry that they're teaching some stuff and we don't like it. And that's right. And then of course you know the quarantines didn't help. Parents got a really up close and personal look at curriculum and and how teachers were teaching because they were sort of the superintendent of their own kitchen table elementary school for there for yeah. a while. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the conversations at, at dinner are pretty grim right now. I wouldn't want to be the incumbent. What do you think the overall lesson here is winners do X? Is it winners understand messaging? Is it winners uh, are focus on one issue? What, what's the big takeaway, do you think? Boy, the, it seems to me that you will win going away if your persuasion message matches your mobilization message. Love that. If you've got just sort of like one track to yeah. your campaign, the, the, the other guys now really don't. They've got to say some stuff to their base that they wouldn't want swing voters to hear at all. Yeah. Uh, whereas we're kind of like on a single frequency. Uh, we don't have to – targeting is good. Just yeah. because you can target doesn't mean you necessarily should. GOP messaging is actually better right now than I've seen it in a long time. And it's really helping that we're not letting our fringe dictate our messaging as the left is. I mean, the left should not be going into this election talking about transgender issues. It's a losing issue for them, but they're letting their fringe drive them there. The attorney general in Michigan um, uh, is a uh, first elected lesbian uh, statewide official that I'm aware of mm-hmm. um, was advocating for drag queens in every school. It's, it's um, insane. And then, of course, she says it's a joke, but you know she's not very funny, and <laughs> nobody took it as a joke. Yeah. Um, they 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 are not on the same page with any parent that I know as to what no. they want their schools to do and what they want their kids to learn. I'll tell you what. I mean, the only they are flawless at teaching kids how to recycle. They know exactly what kind of plastic <laughs> bottle can be recycled and which ones can't. I can support that. But they don't really know anything else. Yeah, I can support that effort. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But <laughs> there's got to be something more useful that we could be teaching. So I see a lot of um, a lot of politicos are starting to move down to Charleston. You might have been. I'm, I'm originally from here, but you might have been the first. What? Why did you get down here? Um, I just don't like being cold. So I had moved yeah. from Michigan to D.C. And, and worked there for a while. Um, hated it. Um, yeah. And basically, like, you know, all the reasons why you would want to be in a big city like D.C., Mm -hmm. you didn't do because traffic was so shitty that by the time you got home from work, you just weren't going back out. Yeah. Um, And I I just didn't like the place at all. So ended up moving to to Sullivan's Island on 9-11, on that 9-11. Yeah. Uh, That was a strange day to be, you know, it was a nice day to be moving out of D.C., evidently. But, uh, um, uh, you know, I've. Probably couldn't afford to make that exact move today, the way real estate prices have gone. You got it nice and early. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it's 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 a pretty magical place. I've noticed that as things have gone on in the world, our part of the world gets more crowded. So, for instance, yeah. when uh, there was the Gulf oil spill, all the people who used to 
you know, sort of vacation on the Gulf Shores said, mm-hmm. hey, let's check out Charleston. Then Hurricane Katrina wiped out New Orleans and people said, hey, let's check out Charleston. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, and, and yeah, and then so then COVID hit and we started seeing all these New York, New Jersey and Connecticut mm-hmm. license plates. And then they didn't leave. They okay. stayed. Um, there is one house for rent on Charles in, in Sullivan's Island right now at $27,000 a month. And, uh, and that's where we'd like to end up eventually, but we just can't can't get there. You'll have to move to Costa Rica with me. I'm not, I'm not against that. Your your kids will come visit you if you <laughs> live in Costa Rica. I promise. You. Yeah, one of my closest friends uh, has a uh, eight bedroom like surf uh, hotel Airbnb type thing down there. He's getting married next year in Costa, so we're going to take the whole family down there. And uh, every time we go down there, we just love it, man. But. Dude, I appreciate you sharing your story and your lessons with us, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, brother.